Welcome to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. Our program is designed to offer solutions to those individuals with exceptional needs, plus families, professionals, and educators. Dr. Sean and his guests will share ideas that you can begin using immediately in order to promote a harmonious relationship and move forward. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sean Surface. Well, hey, good morning, Voice America listeners, and welcome back to Solutions and Strategies, Living the Challenge with Dr. Sean. We have not been a live show for the last two months. I have been traveling. I have been at various conferences. I have been enjoying my own staff presenting at conferences, and we have been doing a lot of work at the office, so it just, I don't know where the time went, but... Here we are two months later, and I'm really happy to be back. This morning, I'm going to be talking about behaviorism and what it can offer to the average individual. Uh, this morning discussion will be on behaviorism and its applications to your everyday successes and challenges. We often use behavioral techniques to stop undesired behaviors and to increase desired ones, but it's not the only use. In fact, any situation one is in can be assisted by behaviorism, whether it's learning to praise others more, which is what we would call reinforcement, or deciding upon how often payroll should be to keep up morale. Behaviorism is used primarily to discover new ways to problem-solve situations and to improve communication skills and social skills. At Total Programs, applied behavior analysis is a way of life for us. However, we take in the person and who they are first, and then we apply developmental and adaptive skill training and communication training through ABA. It's really important for the listener to realize my philosophy on behavior. Um, I know that there's a good chance that you're dealing with a lot of behavioral issues, struggling, having challenges. And, and I don't really believe in behavior problems. I believe that behavior is a way of self-advocacy. And sometimes people just have poor self-advocacy skills. They don't have a way of getting their point across to other people. So they might act out in order to make a point. So it's really important to understand that nobody is going to quote unquote act out unless they have something going on inside. And that's why they're acting it out. They're bringing out the inside stuff. So if that's the case and they've got this kind of internal uh, stress going, we want to help them relieve their internalization uh, and sometimes we got to deal with the externalizations. We got to understand them. And what behaviorism does is it allows us to look at certain situations and adapt the environment, adapt things around the person so that they do better without feeling like they're a bad person, without uh, uh, saying that they have bad intent. The only thing that that person's usually trying to do is survive life. And so behaviorism really helps with that. You know, behavior therapy 
It's a broad term referring to clinical psychotherapy that uses techniques derived from behaviorism. Those who practice behavior therapy tend to look at specific learned behaviors and how the environment influences those behaviors. Those who practice behavior therapy are called behaviorists or behavior analysts. They tend to look for treatment outcomes that are objectively measurable. Behavior therapy does not involve one specific method, but it has a wide range of techniques that can be used to treat a person's psychological problems. Applied behavior analysis, ABA, is the application of behavior analysis that focuses influences learning principles, particularly respondent and operant conditioning, which I'll explain. To identify potential behavior change procedures, which are frequently used throughout clinical therapy. We also use cognitive behavioral therapy, which views cognition and emotions as preceding overt behavior with treatment plans and psychotherapy to lessen the issue. Hallmark techniques of behavior therapy are overlapping components of psychology, in addition to behavior analysis, principles of counterconditioning, punishment, habituation, and functional analysis, all of which we're going to discuss. Methodological behaviorism, knowledge that behavior can also be covert, is entirely outdated in clinical practice. Exposure and response prevention, a subcategory of flooding or desensitization and derived from methodological behaviorism, for example, is typically used for clients with like obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD. Although not entirely behavioral analytic in theory, the behavior therapist will first use functional behavior assessments, FBAs, and the behavior intervention plans, BIPs, before implementing the intervention, and does rely on what's called a functional analysis in, in that respect. Now, I am going to discuss at length what a functional analysis is, why we use them, what the purpose is behind them, but I, I think it's important to get into a little bit of the history of behaviorism because it's changed a lot over the last hundred years and what really started off as a lot of animal training and animal uh, 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 practice has turned into a, a very solid form of, of human development. So the history. This use of the term behavior modification appears to be, have been by uh, Edward Thorndike in 1911. His article, Provisional Laws of Acquired Behavior or Learning, makes frequent use of the term modifying behavior. Through early research in the 1940s and 50s, the term was used by Joseph, Joseph Volpe's research group. The experimental tradition in clinical psychology used it to refer to psychotherapeutic techniques derived from empirical research. It has since come to refer to mainly, mainly to techniques for increasing adaptive behavior through reinforcement and decreasing maladaptive behavior through extinction or with, emphasis, with an emphasis on the former. Now, let me explain that a little bit. Like, what is the difference between adaptive behavior and maladaptive behavior. Everything we do in our lives, we get up in the morning, we might feel a little tired, so we splash a little water on our face, we drink a cup of coffee, 
we put on some music, we do things to adapt to our environment. And the goal in that situation is to wake up and be more alert. So we do things. Now, that's very adaptive. It doesn't have any kind of social impact on anybody else except the person who's trying to get themselves ready. What could be maladaptive is that the person is in a bad mood, they have to wake up, and so they're yelling and screaming and the whole time how angry they are because they have to get up, and why did the alarm go off, and why do they have to do this, and all these things because they are attempting to adapt, but they're adapting in a way that is not socially acceptable. So what does that mean? It means that it's maladaptive. When it doesn't meet other social needs, it's not adapting to the world around it. Therefore, it's having social implications. Thus, it becomes maladaptive. So it's still this person's like attempt to adapt them. The hard part is that it, it, it might work also. So the, the person yelling at people around them may actually get some support, get some attention for that, and then all of a sudden they're getting help, getting up, they're being soothed. So then the next day comes along and they're tired and all that, they do the same thing because it worked before. So then they get into the cycle of maladaptive behavior, and so the goal is, is to start teaching more adaptive skills. And we do a lot of that work at Total Programs. We spend a tremendous amount of our time and our professional time working with families so that they can create more adaptive situations in their life and not have these serious maladaptive behaviors. Because what happens is, is that the person focuses only on the maladaptive behavior, and then they start to see their child, friend, spouse, whoever it is that they're working with as a maladaptive person or as a person that's antisocial, not somebody that they want to be with. Our philosophy at Total Programs is comes from the work of Karen Horney. I've talked about this on the show before. She talked about in life, either people move towards you or move against you. And so the goal is to have them moving towards us because we want people to interact with our clients. We want people to interact with people who have quote unquote behavioral problems. So we teach them more adaptive skills so that they are socially accepted. And it's really important that they are socially accepted because it does allow them a true life, a real life. And the other part of it is, is that the parents then, once their child becomes more adaptive and is able to do the daily life things, maybe more on their own, maybe without so much complaint, maybe with less challenge, maybe they are actually starting to demonstrate more independent skills. Once that happens, all of a sudden life becomes so much better. People want to interact with your kid. People want to interact with the person. They don't do whatever they can to stay away from the person, which is an adaptive behavior in itself. The staff wants to be around more. They're happier. 
They're interacting with clients more. When something become, moves from maladaptive to adaptive, it's a whole world opens up for that person. And it's so important that we give them the opportunity to do that. And we do that through applied behavior analysis and other developmental techniques, but primarily through ABA. And again, that means applied behavior analysis. So we're, we're, we're coming up on a break here, but when we return, I kind of want to talk, get back into talking about what the history was, uh, is of, of applied behavior analysis and how it can continue to further assist and, and help us. We do want to make sure that you have an understanding that we're just giving some beginning info here. And over the next couple of weeks, I'll be talking about different techniques that can be used to help you and your and your kiddo or whoever you're trying to help out there. So we will be back in a couple minutes. Thank you. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey. Breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice. Much of it conflicting. Some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuzo. To bust through the myths about feeding your baby, Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be, and our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info 
at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, welcome back. I hope you've had a chance to get yourself a cup of coffee and you're relaxed and ready to talk about behavior more. I would love some call-ins. If anybody wants to discuss behavioral issues over the next couple weeks, please do call in. We'll do our best to answer your question or point you in the right direction with resources. We're really good at it. So, you know, if you get the chance, give us a call. So we've been talking about behaviorism, and in particular, before the break, I was talking about the difference between adaptive behavior and maladaptive behavior, because our goal is to be able to adapt to the world around us. And in fact, when we looked at what used to be called mental retardation or intellectual disability, it's really not like about IQ level, intellectual quotient. It's, it's about or how you know, smart your numbers are. It's really about adaptive behavior and how you're able to take care of yourself or not take care of yourself. And that's what really shows what mental retardation is or intellectual disability is and what level. The less you're able to take care of yourself, the less you're able to adapt to the world around you, the more of a delay that you would show. Thus, behaviorism can come into play to kind of assist in building up those skills which can build up cognitive ability too. So we can build up developmental levels, we can build up cognitive communication levels, which all leads to having better social skills, better social life, and a better life in general. So two related terms are behavior therapy and applied behavior analysis. Since techniques derived from behavioral psychology tend to be most effective in altering behavior, most practitioners consider behavior modification along with behavior therapy and applied behavior analysis to be founded in behaviorism. While behavior modification and applied behavior analysis typically use interventions based in the same behavioral principles, many behavioral modifiers who are not applied behavior analysts tend to use packages of interventions and do not conduct functional assessments before intervening. So there are people out there that are trying behavioral techniques, but they're not really applied behavior analysts. They might be doing research. They might be looking at experimental analysis to see if they apply one thing, will something else happen? And so it's really not about the therapeutic use building up those adaptive skills in a person. 
Um, so we're going to talk a little bit more about that now. Possibly the first occurrence of the term behavior therapy was in 1953, in a 1953 research project by B.F. Skinner. B.F. Skinner is the father of behaviorism. He is what our, our, the majority of our work is based on. Ogden Lindsay, Lindsley, who was a, a, a student actually of Skinner's, but he really started the whole school psychology field too. Really huge in that. In fact, there is a pretty big award in school psychology, the Ogden Lindsay Award. And, and it really just shows that you've contributed to the school psychology field. And Nathan Azarin and Harry Solomon, all big, big people in the behavioral world. The paper talked about what's called operant conditioning and how it could be used to help improve the functioning of people who are actually diagnosed with chronic schizophrenia. Early pioneers of behavior therapy included Volpe and Eisnick, um, two really known names, two people that moved it from animal training to utilizing behavioral techniques in, in human development. In general, behavioral therapy is seen as having a distinct points of origin. In South Africa, Africa was Volpe's group. The United States was Skinner. The United Kingdom had Eisnick. Each had its own distinct approach to viewing behavior problems. Eisnick, in particular, viewed behavior problems as an interplay between personality characteristics, environment, and behavior. So it's like he was the first to really say, hey, there's something going on here with the person's like personality, like who they are, the, the, the core person where they live, where they exist, and what they demonstrate through their behavior. And he was kind of like the first person to really talk about that. Skinner's group in the United States took more of an operant conditioning focus. The operant focus created a functional approach to assessment and interventions focused on contingency management, such as a token economy or behavioral activation. Contingency management means, in a sense, if this happens, then this happens. So it's an if-then kind of situation. And what we look at in operant conditioning is when this particular uh, direction, prompt, activating event is applied, usually we would see this behavior that's then followed by something, a consequence that maintains it or what we call reinforces it. Skinner's student, Ogden Lindsley, is credited with forming a movement called precision teaching, which developed a particular type of graphing program called standard acceleration charting to monitor the progress of clients. Skinner became interested in individualizing of programs for improved learning in those with and without disabilities and worked with Fred Keller to develop programmed instruction. Now, precision teaching Huge thing, because with precision teaching, it was the first time that we actually took behavioral techniques and we applied them in the classroom. We applied them towards learning. So now all of a sudden we could teach a new type of lesson. We could see what the outcomes are. We could evaluate the outcome and then decide whether or not we want to change things or keep the things the way they are based on how well the person did in the outcomes. 
So again, the whole precision teaching concept is really the first out of the average way of teaching students, which later led to special education and some of the ways that people teach within special education programs. While many behavior therapists remain staunchly committed to the basic operant and respondent paradigm, in the second half of the 20th century, and let me explain that, the operant and respondent paradigm is, again, there's something that prompts in the environment you to do something. You then do it, and if it is something that you, you, you do well and you're reinforced by it, you'll do it again. For instance, if you have a headache, what might you do? Well, there's a good chance if you have a headache, you're going to take an aspirin. Why? Because the consequence or the outcome is it's going to remove the aversive from you. It's actually what we call negative reinforcement. It removes the aversive. If the aversive is removed, what's going to happen the next time you have a headache? Well, good chance is you're probably going to take an aspirin again. Why? because it took away the aversive the last time. So if we're looking at this operant respondent paradigm, we're looking at what prompts something to happen, what actually happens, and then what happens after the behavior? What's the consequence that reinforces or maintains that behavior? But, you know, it's, it's, life is bigger than just what reinforces you. Commonly, there are things that go on in our head that may interfere with the ability to function as well as we'd like to. Therefore, we start entering into irrational thinking, thinking that something bad's going to happen to us, something's not going to work out, something's going to be too hard for us to do, so we're not going to attempt it in the first place. Irrational thought systems. Those irrational thought systems are hard to measure because you can't just look into somebody's brain and measure what they're thinking. So for many years, behaviorists said, hey, those are what are called private events and we just can't even deal with it. It is not something that we are going to even approach because we can't measure it and we can't really observe it. But what theorists have found is that yes you can that that emotional trigger that let's call it that activating event is the prompt is the thing that comes before the behavior and you can measure through talking to the person what was your mindset like when you were thinking this because it stopped you from doing what you wanted to do it didn't allow you to think rationally So when we return, I'm going to talk a little bit more. We have a break time again. But when we return, I'll talk a little bit more about this movement in behaviorism from pure prompt response to the more about the thinking person. We'll be back.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's one 866 472-5792. You may also send an email to Sean Surface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, welcome back from that break. We are talking about behaviorism today, and we'll be talking about it for the next couple weeks. Actually, next week, I'm really happy to have on Augie Jimenez and Joshua Treveno to um, supervisors from total programs that have been doing research in behaviorism and will be presenting next week at the international conference. Um, so we're going to get them on Thursday to tell us a little bit about their research and what they're working on, how they use their research to make their jobs better, how they use their research to uh, make the lives of their clients better and their staff better. So I'm really looking forward to that. Again, if you uh, uh, have some questions or you would like to work on some behavioral issues, give us a call over the next couple of weeks and see if we can assist you or get into a collaboration so that we can help you problem solve a bit. So the last thing I was talking about was for years – there was this basic use of behaviorism that something would get prompted, a behavior would occur, and then there would be something that would maintain that behavior, what we would call a consequence. But in the second half of the 20th century, many therapists coupled behavioral therapy with cognitive therapy of Aaron Beck and Albert Ellis to form what's called cognitive behavioral therapy. In some areas, the cognitive component had an additive effect for example, evidence suggests that cognitive interventions improve the result of social phobia treatment, but in other areas it did not enhance the treatment, which led to the pursuit of a third generation of behavior therapists. 
Third generation behavior therapy uses basic concepts of operant and respondent psychology, but couples them with a functional analysis and a clinical formation case conceptualization of verbal behavior more in line with the view of behavior analysts. Some research supports these therapies as being more effective in some cases than cognitive therapy. But overall, the question is still in need of answers. There's different methods out there. And one of the things that, before I even move on, I want to talk about what cognitive behavioral therapy is. And I'll, I'll be doing a show on it probably in about three weeks, maybe four. So cognitive behavioral therapy is utilized to assist people that are going through depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorders, people who have panic disorders or panic attacks, um, people that have been through post-traumatic stressors that have caused them to have post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, The idea of cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT is to look at some of the irrational thinking that is interfering with your overall daily life and making the decision to look at those irrational thoughts and change them and not live through irrational thinking, but try and live your life more rationally. It's hard. We all have irrational beliefs. We all have statements, negative statements to ourselves that may put ourselves down or make us feel bad about ourselves. And then what happens is that we tend to escape and avoid situations. And if that is the case, you're not leading the life that you really want. So cognitive behavioral therapy really is helpful in turning people around in regards to negative schemas that they've created about themselves, negative thoughts, or they just can't get out of their head about themselves and really do detriment to their overall daily life functioning. You know, most most of the time, things in this world go the way that they're supposed to. Now, you could be a worrier, and your main belief system is that if you worry about something, well, then nothing will go wrong. But if you don't worry about it, it'll go wrong for sure. So you spend a lot of time worrying, and because things do tend to work out, most things tend to turn out the way that we hoped that they would. But when you worry about it before, what you actually do is you, see, so you worry about the thing, then it works out, and then you think it worked out because you worried about it. And that truly is not the case, but it's re, your worry is reinforced by your positive outcome. So the goal with kind of with cognitive behavioral therapy is to say, well, what part of this was of the worry actually assisted in this thing happening? Were there things that the worry actually did that caused that thing to happen? 
The only possibility is that the worry may have turned into its opposite, which is planning. So if through the worry you chose to plan out the event so that it would work out okay, you may believe that it's your worry that caused the outcome to be positive when you find out, no, it's not the worry, but rather it was your planning. So with cognitive behavioral therapy, you're able to look at a situation and pull out the things that may not be rational, may be actually hindering you from a positive experience, and put into place the rational thinking that allowed you to be adaptive. Because when you're thinking irrationally and you are behaving through your irrational belief systems, you're actually being maladaptive. You're adapting. You're getting through life, but you're not getting through life in a way that works well for you or for other people. There's a lot of different techniques, a lot of different methods that are used in our behavioral world. Behavior management, behavior modification, contingency management, covert conditioning, exposure and response prevention, often called ERP, flooding, habit reversal and training, matching law, modeling, observational learning, operant conditioning, respondent conditioning, systematic desensitization. All our areas, all our methods of applied behavior analysis, all our ways of using behavior therapy, and they're just used in different ways for different issues that are coming up. Uh, we tend to focus a lot on our behavior management, our contingency management. We do a lot in regards to matching law, a lot of modeling, and a lot of systematic desensitization. Because we want people to be able to start adapting more comfortably to the world around them. So what's the scientific basis? The behavioral approach to therapy assumes that behavior that is associated with psychological problems develops through the same process of learning that affects the development of other behaviors. Behavior therapy is based upon the principles of classical conditioning developed by Ivan Pavlov and operant conditioning developed by B.F. Skinner. Classical conditioning happens when a neutral stimulus comes right before another stimulus that triggers a reflexive response. The idea is that if a neutral stimulus and whatever other stimulus that triggers a response is paired together, often enough that the neutral stimulus will produce the reflective response. Operant conditioning has to do with rewards and punishments and how they can either strengthen or weaken certain behaviors. There's lots of different types of reinforcement. Well, there's not lots of different types, there's three types. There's positive reinforcement, there's negative reinforcement, and there's punishment. Now, people often confuse the last two. Let's talk about the first one. Positive reinforcement is giving something to, there's two types, there's primary and there's secondary. A primary positive reinforcer is something that doesn't have to be taught. 
you know, when you eat something that tastes good, nobody ever taught you that that thing, how to make something taste good. Your tongue did that for you automatically. When you're cold and you put on a jacket, all of a sudden now you're warm. That is an automatic reinforcer. It's something that you don't have to be taught. It's positive reinforcement. When you get praised for doing a good job, that's positive reinforcement. One of the confusions come when you think you're doing something that is a positive reinforcement and you actually are doing what's called negative reinforcement. Now, the word positive in our behavioral world means to add something. The word negative means to take something away. So positive reinforcement adds something to the person's life that they enjoy, that they like, that they want, that they desire, so that the likelihood of them doing the behavior again after the introduction of the reinforcer is very high. With negative reinforcement, I explained it earlier through the headache model. When you have a headache, you take that aspirin because that aspirin takes away that headache. And the next time you have a headache, you're going to reach for the aspirin bottle because it removes the aversive. Well, that's a headache version. Here's a human version. It's called timeout. Timeout. You have a kid who's acting out. You say, okay, you got to go sit in timeout. So you remove him from time from the situation that he's in, which in a sense is a punisher to him because it's applying something that's aversive, something that he doesn't want, which is not being allowed to be with the group. But there's another part to it, too, that we always have to watch. When that kid who's been acting out and causing you problems as an adult is put into timeout, all of a sudden your aversive is gone. That is very reinforcing to you as the adult to get rid of the aversive, just like with the headache. So the next time that kid does something, maybe not as bad as it was the last time. Now all of a sudden you're throwing him into timeout because you want to remove aversives from yourself before they become too bad. So that is a form of what we call negative reinforcement that is concerning and can often be misused but it is the other type of reinforcement. Now, we've got a little break here. When we come back, uh, I'll, I'll talk more about those three, positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, and the punishment model. Okay, have a nice break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, well, welcome back again, and we've been talking about behaviorism this morning, and we talked about a little bit about the history and a couple different types, and I was just explaining reinforcement and the different types. What is positive reinforcement, which an example of which is praise, what is negative reinforcement, the rever- the, which is the removal of an aversive from yourself. And punishment. Now, punishment is, there's two kinds of punishment. There's positive and negative punishment. Positive punishment is you apply something that, uh, you give, put something into place that the person is an aversive to the person. So it might be a timeout. It might be a, uh, well, in the extreme, a spanking. It might be a... Uh, something that's said to the person that is hurtful. These are punishing events that are what we call positive, not meaning positive as in good, positive as in adding to. Negative punishment is like when you get something taken away from you, like maybe your allowance or your ability to use the car or um, you're not allowed to watch TV. So negative reinforcement takes something, excuse me, negative punishment takes something away where positive punishment adds something. We don't use a lot of punishment techniques, uh, very, very few. And if we do use any type of punishment techniques, it's what's called response cost. Response cost is, say you're earning points for doing well throughout the day, um, and then you decide that you're going to yell at somebody. Well, it costs you five points to yell at somebody. Now, you can yell, and you can make that choice, but if you're trying to earn your points in order to go to a movie or to buy ice cream, and now you're losing points, which is not going to allow you to go to the movie, not going to allow you to get that ice cream, or it's going to take longer, the idea is, is that through response cost, you recognize your mistake, you take responsibility for it, and you go back to trying to earn points and not engaging in activities that are going to lose you points or that you're going to have a negative punishment around. Response cost is something that we use in what are called token economy systems. And in a token economy system, we are giving somebody points throughout the day for completing certain goals and they can then later turn in those points for different rewards, whatever it might be. However, it also has in it, like any economy, 
in, in most economies, you don't just earn, you have to pay also. And so in the token economy system, the response cost is that paying out of, of points or money or whatever to pay for your quote-unquote bad behavior. So it's a very useful tool. Unfortunately, what happens is, is that most people don't want to do the response cost part because they're so like afraid that they're going to be a negative to their kid by taking away things that they've earned. But we only use token economy systems when we're trying to teach responsibility. It's a contingency management. When you do this, then this happens. When you do this, then you get a point. When you do this maladaptive thing, you're going to pay for that. And maybe because you have to pay for it, you'll do it less often. The perfect example of it is all of us can get in our car and speed down the street. And most of the time, we're going to get away with that. But then one day, a police officer is going to see you it's going to pull you over. It's going to give you a ticket. You're going to have to pay for that ticket. You're going to have to pay for that speeding down the street, for that right to speed down the street. The next time you're in your car, you might for a minute think, mm, I don't think I want to get another ticket. Maybe I'll go slow. And that will last for quite a while until it's been quite a while since you've seen a police officer and then you might all of a sudden start picking up the speed again. Why? Because you haven't been, you haven't had a punisher applied. In fact, you've had lots of positive reinforcement. You're getting there faster. You're getting to wherever you want to be with that filling a speed, you know, in you. You know, there's lots of parts of it that are reinforcing to you. But when you when that police officer comes along and gives you that ticket, well, it may turn into a negative experience for you. And the idea would be that the response in the future would be different so that your response cost changes your behavior. It's a contingency management. Contingency management programs are a direct product of research from operant conditioning. These programs have been highly successful with those suffering from panic disorders, anxiety disorders, phobias, maladaptive behavior, antisocial behavior. We also look at systematic desensitization and exposure and response prevention, both evolved from respondent conditioning and have received considerable research. With systematic desensitization, there's lots of different ways that we can uh, utilize systematic desensitization. One of the current ways that it's being used in our area, and maybe Augie Jimenez will talk about this next week more, um, he has been working on a project for dental um, procedures. And the biggest problem with the developmentally disabled crowd and, and dental procedures is the fear, like all of us, of sitting in that chair and having the loud noises of the drill and the suction and everything else that is there at the dentist's office. Well, one of the things that the local regional center has done is they have created 
a room. And this room looks just like a dentist's office. It has in it the chair and the different equipment, things that make sounds. So what Augie has been working on with the regional center is getting young adults or children, but mostly young adults right now, to come to the desensitization room, get used to the sounds, the feelings, the sitting in the chair, the having somebody putting something in your mouth, so that they get used to it, so that they can go to the dentist and get the treatment that they need in order to allow them to have a better life. Now, I have more to talk about in regards to behavioral stuff, and we'll talk about it next week, because I want to focus on, I only have a couple minutes left, and I want to, why do we do all of this? You know, why do we set up these behavior plans? It's not just to increase and decrease behaviors. It's not just to rid ourselves of a problem behavior. It's not just to gain something that we like through reinforcement. All of these things that we do, teaching somebody to be more adaptive in their life, teaching somebody to receive praise after they've done a good job, teaching somebody to persevere through a difficult task because they are going to be reinforced, getting rid of irrational thinking so that they can have a more pleasant life, being able to go to the doctor or to the dentist so that they can be healthy, get the treatments that they need. All of these things lead to what we call social validity. And in social validity, the main idea is that we're creating a better life for the person. And at Total Programs, that's what our main goal is. Our main goal is not to add a behavior or to get rid of a behavior. Our main goal is to have a better life and for that person to enjoy their life without feeling this constant need to act out in order to get what they want. So... Next week on the show, we will continue to discuss behaviorism and how it can help. We're going to talk with our friends about research. So remember that on Strategies and Solutions, Living the Challenge with Dr. Sean, we're about your success and know that each day can be new, the new future you dream of having in your life. See you next time. Blessings. Thanks so much for listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean. Living the challenge. Be sure to join us again next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.